Welcome to the new episode of Quarter Quest, Comics on the Cheap. Can I ask you a question before we begin? Have you ever wanted to have your own podcast? If so, we'd like to recommend Podbean. We've been using it for the last three years, and we love it. It's easy to use, and the customer support is amazing. Just go to podbean.com and enter the code HAUNTEDLOG at checkout and get your first month of podcasting for free. That's podbean.com, Haunted Log. Now, on to the show. Well, this two we're in your comic book podcast where three buddies talk about comics from their childhood and today. I'm Nick, and I'm joined by... Kirk! Ryan. I feel like I have to say, playing... Yeah, right? Jack Wingnut Ozzle. <laughs> when I said that, just Kirk. <laughs> just Kirk. Just Kirk. <laughs> so who wants to go first? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'll go first. Awesome. So I picked up Immortal X-Men number one. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> hey, man, I had to sit through a lot of Green Lantern books, all right? Don't you look all shocked. <laughs> I knew you were going to do something. This book is about the X-Men. This book is about the... X-Men on Krakoa about the Quiet Council. Uh, so it starts out sinister. It's Paris 19, 1919 and he is sitting reading a paper and whistling a tune. A woman comes up. They start talking and she says it's a war's coming and it's destiny. So I guess destiny's been around since 1919. Her and Mystique kill this version of Sinister. Cut to Sinister on Krakoa now. And he is plotting and scheming to take over the Quiet Council. Magneto leaves because he didn't like the... It's the fallout from Inferno. Where it was exposed that him and Xavier were running a secret plan. And it was exposed by Emma Frost. Because they tried to bring her in on it and... She got pissed. For those of you who don't know, Moira McTaggart was a mutant and she said she couldn't have precog and uh they brought back uh Destiny and they found out that she's a mutant and uh they killed her. Or they took away her powers, they didn't kill her. So Sinister is trying to get another person put on the Quiet Council after Magneto leaves and they're all putting forward names. Angel was talking about himself. Warren Worthington III. Monet St. Croix was talking about herself. Uh, Gorgon. I don't know too much about a character named Gorgon. Uh, Vulcan said he was already the head of his own empire, so he's not going to do it. Abigail Brand. Apparently she's... Diddling beast. So she was a brought up as a person of interest on there, and Beast said no. So uh, Nightcrawler brings forward Legion. I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. Had that fractured mind guy sitting on the Quiet Council. Which personality would you get? And it cuts to the five. They're bringing back mutants. And 
uh, Exodus talks to her about being part of the Quiet Council. Yada, yada, yada. Who's this vampire girl? I can't remember her name and I can't find it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I guess she's a mutant vampire and it's not Jubilee. There's a good pitch. Hope comes in and says, yeah, it's a good pitch, but I think some member of the five should be on here. And if you don't put me on here, the mutants will rebel because we're really popular and they love us. Exodus calls her the Messiah, and she really doesn't like being called the Messiah. And they do a vote, and Sinister thinks he's got it in the bag to get Hope on the council, because him and Exodus are trying to do this. And they go through uh, Xavier. He's a no. Emma's a yes. Colossus is a no. Mystique is a yes. Sinister votes no just to pl- sh- to play off that he's trying to manipulate the council. Destiny says he. There's a little thought bubble up above that says yes, and Destiny says no. And Sinister goes crap. Nightcrawler says no. He goes crap, crap. <laughs> um, I really like this version of Sinister. I like, you know. He's plotting and scheming, and he's arrogant, and the way he should be. So he goes, I'd like to change my plan, my my vote to yes. <laughs> and that puts hope on the council. They go to Celine. Celine is the vampire's name. And she unleashes this monster that was posing as a gate, and it starts attacking... Uh, Krakoa, and Sinister is downloading his DNA into another one, and he grabs a jar full of Cyclops' eyeballs that he's mute, that he's cloned, and there's a cat with a visor chasing after the eyeballs. I, I want to know what this cat can do. Made me kind of curious. And... He reveals that he cloned Moira McTaggart. So, it was okay for a first issue. Like I said, I like Sinister. I think Sinister is going to be the next one to go bad because they made Apocalypse go bad, even though all mutants are welcome on Krakoa. And he's now a bad guy now and in charge of Otherworld or whatever it's called. And that's where it ended. So. It was okay. I'm going to give it a chance. See where it goes, but it 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 didn't it didn't read very well. <laughs> I'm like you you switched from Hickman to this guy or girl or whoever it is. I don't know who this is. And I'm like, okay. It just it didn't feel like it it had any meaning to it yet. So, that's what I had. Nice. Go ahead. Sure. I got Knights of X. Oh! 2X books! 2X books. Um, Completely different. Completely different. So, this is an other world. um, Very Dungeons and Dragons meets the X-Men. Which is actually pretty cool. Am I gonna pick it up? Maybe. Okay. Um, 
Merlin is now taken over Otherworld, and his servant is King Arthur, and they're hunting down all mutants to kill them all in on Otherworld, and it's really crazy. Um, of course, Betsy Braddock has the Captain Britain cores that are there, and they're like trying to protect them all. Saturnine is the disposed leader, so she's hanging out with them. Um, book hops around like a motherfucker. Just they they expect you to understand what goes on between the panels, but they don't really explain how the fuck it got there. So a new X book. Yeah. Um, she puts together a new team, but she's not allowed because the gate is destroyed. So she goes to Saturnine to open up a gate. As Saturnine doesn't open up a gate, but they have fucking appear on Krokoa. It's like, what the hell is going on in this book? So she goes, she uh, gets Shatterstar, she gets Richter, she gets um, Bay, she gets Gambit, Rachel Summers, Megan, who isn't part of the the draft, but she just shows up and is like, I'll go. You know, it's like, okay, oh, fine. So a semi-Excalibur reunion. Yep. They decide that they need to resurrect Mordred to battle his father. Okay? So, supposedly he's a mutant. He has an X gene, but they can't find any reference to his genes in the history or whatever. So they have some kind of like liquid that they got from Otherworld that they dip in the resurrection pods and egg cracks open, it's empty. But they're like, we saw somebody. He's gone now. It's like, oh, fucking hell. Right. Um, Jubilee apparently has a daughter yep. who's asleep. Yep. So she needs to go back. She was a dragon in Excalibur number two. Well, she goes back, but Jubilee and the kid don't get back into Otherworld. So they just kind of must have got blocked off, is what they said. Like, though, the, well, she got sent back. Rachel Summers gets a new costume. Hooray! <laughs> She looks Ooh. like Nova or meets the Human Torch meets the Scarlet Witch. Ooh. And they're like, oh, we need we need another person since Jubilee can't be here. They find Kai Lun from Excalibur, which is one of the reasons I stopped reading Excalibur, because he's a horrible character. He can hide in shadows. Gee, great. He's a nightcrawler. <laughs> um, <laughs> then there's the giant dragon, which is like Bay's daughter? Who is this? It's not Jubilee's daughter? No, this is somebody else. And they have a fighty fight, a little bit more fighty fight. Um, uh, Black Knight appears, but it's not the Black Knight. It is Mordred. And he prostrates himself in front of Captain Britain. Is like, I will help you, you know, whatever you need, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, it's just, I don't know. And then they, they have to find the Siege Perilous. That's all I got for He's not selling me on reading the book. I'm not selling myself on reading any more of it. It doesn't make any sense. Like I like I like the fact that they put Dungeons and Dragons. They mixed X Men with it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. I might read it again. I don't know. I just don't. We're we're doing awesome. I don't care. <laughs> Come on, Ryan, save us. Well, the first step is not doing the next book. So. I think that's the yeah. <laughs> Marauders is good. <laughs> All right. So I did a righteous thirst for vengeance by image comics. Uh, this is issue number seven. 
and I'm going to give a disclaimer on this right away. I read this book. I'm like, this book is amazing. I've, I've been reading all of them, but I never remember what actually happened in the previous book afterwards. But the second you read the next book, you're like, oh, I can't wait until the next issue. They don't do an update at the beginning? No, they no. do not. <laughs> um, that sucks. So, the premise is that uh, this woman had a hit on her, and one of the hitmen had a change of heart and took out, or saved her, and kind of helped eliminate one of the hitmen from coming after her. But in the process, she got shot, and now he's on the run with her kid. So, they're at this camp, and you see him taking care of the kid, and they're, you know, they're, they're getting along really well. Um, everything's going great. And the kid gets up one morning, and he's starting to make the fire for the camp, and when I say a camp, I mean this is like a camp of a whole bunch of individuals. It's not just them camping out. And um, people are saying hi to him and everything. He's getting his the fire going and everything. And he finds a phone and that says, read me. So he opens it up and looks at it. And it shows that the guy he's traveling with is wanted for murder. Well, the kid didn't realize he didn't know he was actually a hitman. He just thought it was some good Samaritan that came and saved him. So he runs off into the woods. The police department are working with whoever's hiring these other hitmen to capture the kid because this kid's very important for some reason. We haven't quite figured out that yet. And the guy or the former hitman is trying to figure out where the kid's at. And finally, he's like, he's gone missing. So he goes running into the woods looking for him. Um, other people are looking for him. And the kid gets taken to a cabin. The current hitman that's got the kid shoots the cop to create a legit looking, hey, the cop tried to stop us kind of thing. And... You see some of the other members of the camp going towards the cabin with their big shotguns and rifles and everything. And then you see the uh, main character show up and he's walking towards the cabin a couple hours later and the cabin's like completely quiet. And that's where it leaves off. Rick Remendard is doing the writing on this. I love reading his stuff. He does a fantastic job. Um, like I said, it's one of those stories that it doesn't stick out. Like the previous issue doesn't stick out, but when you after you read the the, the issue, you're kind of like, "Wow, uh, I need to read more of this." Um, I would say absolutely check it out. The first trade should be coming out if it hasn't come out already. It's a fantastic story. Uh, probably be a little easier to retain some of the information opposed to trying to remember all the stuff that's been happening in all the other comics along with this. So, uh, I highly recommend it. Cool. He saved us. Yay! Awesome. So now we go to... Random Raids. Random. Random Raids. Yes, Random Raids. In case you're really into ASMR, we can really do it again. 
random rays. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> who wants to go first? I mean, I I can go first. It's fine. It's okay. Right. You go ahead. And go first. You go ahead, Nick. All right. So first one I did was picked up pretty cheap, and with you know Neil Adams passing away this week, uh, I decided to do Detective Comics Batman and Robin number four hundred two. Shit, I think it was like, I don't remember what date this is from, but whatever. It's the second appearance of Man Bat, so probably around the 60s, 70s, something like that. Story? Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> artwork? Phenomenal. Um, this is early Neil Adams, so he still has that, you know, that look that made him famous, right? He didn't quite go into that continuity era, you know, artwork. But this, uh, okay, so the story, you know, uh, Langstrom's trying to break into a, a vault that has a healing serum for him. Goons come in. They're trying to break into it. He's like, no! That means it's going. Batman's coming, right? <laughs> so, um, Batman comes in. Um, Langstrom and him get into a fight. He's like, this was at the time where he was still a fan of the Batman, right? So he's like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be a villain. I don't want to be a hero. He has no wings. At this time, which is pretty cool, he just has the head, so he's wearing a suit. Like, like, uh, it's pretty funny. Um, he knocks Batman out because Batman doesn't want him to steal the serum to heal himself. Knocks Batman out. Surprise, surprise! Batman's not the new Batman that's totally indestructible and can't get knocked out. And has a plan for everybody. He got hit he's by like a 40. door. <laughs> he got hit by a door. He got knocked out. Um, <laughs> So then Batman has this idea, well, most most criminals go to the scene of their last crimes, which that's completely false. So not a he good goes, detective. Yeah, he goes to the Natural History Museum where Langstrom works. He meets Langstrom's wife and they confront him. And Langstrom jumps out of the three-story window, falls out, grows his wings. So he's mutating as he's going. He flies off into a cave, which ends up being the Bat Cave. <laughs> and him and Batman go at it. And uh, there's a this quandary between Batman. Like, he doesn't know if he wants to uh, heal him with the serum or let him stay as the monster. Like, either this could permanently, like, paralyze you or you could be a monster for the rest of the time. Well, he ends up saving him, like, injecting him. And we all know... After 30 years, 40 years of Man Bat, it's never going to change. Um, second book I read, which I'm a huge fan of Mark Hansen. I don't know if you guys remember Mark, like Ralph Snart from Now Comics back in the 90s. He's still doing it, right? So if you go to MarkHansenStuff.com, you can download the like the latest 12 issues for free. Like He, he doesn't even want, he's like, yeah, just send me some cash if you want to. It doesn't really matter. He hasn't lost a freaking step. Like, everything from the old book is still fresh and new and funny today. Um, he's got this way of, like, bringing in, like, modern, like, uh, cultural things into it and just being really absurd about it. So, if you have never read Ralph Snart, he's a short, fat, big-nosed, ugly, drinking, sexist pig, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he decides that the cheapest way to make, 
to have beer is to make his own. So he's like, I'm going to buy a 15-gallon homebrew kit. I'm going to have 150 beers. He brews them. He drinks them all in one day. He goes to prison. He wakes up. He, like, blacks out. He wakes up in prison. And uh, he's like, everybody leave. I need to throw up. Move. Get out of my way. He's, like, in this holding cell. Like, get out of my way. I'm going to throw up. And they don't. And he just goes, <laughs> and, like, throws up all over the floor. And they, like, this is stuff that they said that he ate, right? So, uh. The two burritos, five dill pickles, ten bags of pork rinds, a bowl of deep-fried possum intestines, a bucket of sour cottage cheese, three or four platters of raw oysters, a ton of gummy chews, twenty-some-odd prune and hot sauce danishes, a dozen kraut dogs with extra onions and horseradish. Right, He just throws this all up. And, uh, and 157 beers. <laughs> And he's like, I don't want it to go to waste, so he starts rubbing it on himself, Aww. right? And uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, Damn. God, it's so gross. Oh, no. And the people, like, the guards are, like, recording this on their CCTVs, <laughs> and they're like, this would make a great YouTube video. So they, they submit it to YouTube, and it starts getting, like, 150 million hits, like, every hour. And it's just like, Ralph becomes this huge celebrity online. And, uh... Oh my god, it just goes insane, right? So uh his friend Doofus has to come and get him out of prison. So he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw him in this trash bag, because I'm not touching him. He throws him in this black trash bag, and he throws him in the trash. <laughs> and then he just gets worse and worse smelling. Because he's in this black trash bag, it's in the sun. And uh he's like, Where the hell am I? Where am I? And like he has no idea. He's like thinks he's dead. Right? <laughs> so uh they start seeing, like, Ralph's on the news. Like, this thing's making, like, this this guy's, like, getting super famous on YouTube, right? And he's like, I know that guy. So he goes and he grabs Ralph and he puts him on a plane and they go to Hollywood. And, uh, Ralph wakes up, gets out of the bag, climbs up into the airplane, and they think it's a terrorist. And he starts, he starts peeing on people. And they're like, oh my god, it's the guy from YouTube. Oh my god. <laughs> and everybody loves him. And uh, he starts going, he goes on Oprah, he goes on Jay Leno, he goes on uh, Entertainment Tonight and all this other crap. And he starts getting more and more famous. And like the paparazzi start following him. And uh, there's a scene where the paparazzi is in a toilet and takes a picture of his butthole. Hey, <laughs> nice bum. <laughs> it's a great shot of your bunghole, Mr. Fool. Right? Um, so he starts getting hounded by the paparazzi. So he shoots them all. <laughs> and then he shoots. And then he sees this dog, which is annoying him. So he kicks the dog into like the next county. Right. So he goes to prison, not for killing the paparazzi. He gets the, the a citation from the city, the key to the city for killing like all the paparazzi. <laughs> he goes to prison. And he goes to prison for kicking the dog. And, uh, it goes in fucking insane. So they lo- pretty much lobotomize him. So he comes out normal. He's like clean, sober, blah, blah, blah. And the pop, like the, the leader, like the guy from TMZ is like, we need to take him down a peg and show him, show the world that he's like this normal, sober, uninteresting guy. So they go and he's all like, you know, yeah, he goes home. And the paparazzi show up and he kills them again. <laughs> <laughs> and then all's good. <laughs> it, it's 
The end. It's a crazy book, but it's so fun to read because it's it's a full 29 pages. Right. And for free. I mean, if you want to give Mark Hansen some stuff, I mean, yeah. I mean, I wish he would do it like print on demand and I would love to have a like, physical copy of it, but he doesn't. Um, anything else that I read? No. That's it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know who follows that up. I'll, I guess I'll try. <laughs> So, I picked up Iron Fist number one, introducing the new Iron Fist. They made him culturally appropriate, Marvel being all PC and shit. Starts out in Kunlun. They're practicing. There's an egg. Says that. This person says that Kun Loon is vulnerable without its champion, the Iron Fist. You cut to New York City, and Danny Rand is fighting a demon. And he says, I may not be Iron Fist anymore because I gave up my... Whatever, the chi to save the world. And... But he knows a lot of Kung Fu. A lot of kung fu. And he's talking to Luke Cage, who he's supposed to be meeting for for lunch. And he's fighting this demon. And the new Iron Fist comes in and saves him. And Danny's like, hey, that's a nice cosplay costume. And, you know, the colors are kind of off. But, you know, uh, you're missing the one thing. You know, you're missing... uh, Shallow's chi. And then his hand, his fist starts glowing. And he's like, oh my god, you have it. How'd you get it? Iron Fist runs away. It tells the story about how he was trying to become the best swordsman in Kunlun. He got something happened and he fell into the ocean. The Sorcerer Supreme had died and broke, broke whatever spell and he comes up and he's got the chi. He comes up out of the water and the chi saved him. So now he's the new dragon fist, you know, iron fist. And you cut to iron fists sitting on the, the, the roof. And Danny's like, I know what moping on the, the rooftop looks like and all this stuff. And he's just asking him questions. And they, you know, He's like, I got your little green shard that gave you your little powers, right? And he's like, doing the try to steal the pebble thing, and he gets Iron Iron Fist gets the the emerald the sword sword piece and jumps off the roof and goes through a portal. And as Danny Rand is trying to jump through the portal, it closes and he can't get in. You learn his name, Drag- uh, Iron Fist's name. I won't call him Dragon Fist. Don't know why. His name is Lin, Lin Lai. And she's with a girl named uh, Mei Min. And apparently some demons got through and she took care of him. And this girl had taken him in. And uh, they're just talking. And she goes in to... She brings him into his her house. 
and they have dinner, and the dad gets up to go to the kitchen to get the tea, and mom says, are you coming with the tea? And he says he'll be right there, and he turns into a demon, and that's where it leaves off. I actually enjoyed this more than the X-Men book. <laughs> and I think I'm going to go out and pick up, uh, I think it's, is it issue two? Yeah, issue two came out last month. So, I only missed one. I haven't gotten the next issue of, of it. Cool. That was pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah, you know, just you know, do they really need to be culturally appropriate with the Iron Fist? The next book I did, I picked up Web of Spider-Man number one from April nineteen eighty five. It's kind of blurry, but kind of dark print. Uh, this is right after. Uh, Spider-Man and Black Cat break up. Peter, have you done this book? Have we done this book? Okay, I'm just making sure. Not that I recall. Okay, I'm just making sure we're not repeating ourselves. Um, they broke up. He gave the suit to the Fantastic Four. He uh, He's trying to put on his suit, the blue and red suit. And he's like, oh, this uh, fits just like my uh, symbiote suit. Because, you know, the symbiote suit escaped and changed into the red and blue. And he goes and looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, oh, no. And he changes into the black symbiote suit. And then you got uh, three muggers mugging an old lady for a social security check. And one of them's like, you can't do that, you can't do that, you know. And they turn out they're, they work for the Vulture, they're the Vulture, Vulturians. <laughs> I shit you not, that's what it says, it's they're, they're the Vulturians. Wow. Um, Spidey is fighting with the symbiote suit throughout the whole book, because he's trying to take him back to the Fantastic Four's headquarters. And the suit doesn't like sonic sounds, so it's afraid of the Fantastic Four, so it doesn't want to go. They get the drop on Spider-Man because he's too busy fighting with the suit. And then it cuts to Ryan's favorite character, Aunt May. And guess what she's doing? Anybody want to take a anybody want to take a guess? No, she's buying a hat at Saks Fifth Avenue. Is it a coincidence or what? And she's like, I can't afford it. Money's kind of tight. And Mary Jane's talking to her and Aunt May is upset because Peter Parker decided to drop out of graduate school to become a photographer. And it's just more of fighty fight as Nick puts it. With uh, Spider-Man in the suit. Uh... The suit decides to help him out because he found out that they're going to kill kill his host. And he doesn't want his host to die, so he starts helping him. And he's fighting. Fighting some more. And then he's inside a bell tower. And the bell goes off. And the suit 
freaks the frick out. And it leaves Peter. And the suit is being nice and doesn't want Peter Parker's identity to be found. So he pulls him out and hides him because Peter got knocked out. And it ends with it saying, one day Peter, when Peter wakes up, he'll wonder why the suit was nice to him and saved him. I love Spider-Man. And I love this book. Even if it had the Venturian, the Vulturians in it. Um, so I got at least two good reads out of this week. Two out of four ain't bad, right? That's 50%. So. No, not bad. Not bad. That cover's amazing. The cover is amazing. The cover is awesome. I love this cover. That's one of the reasons I didn't even care what the story was about. I just wanted the book because of the cover. I really miss Charles Vest's stuff. Fucking amazing. That's all I gotta say about that. Did you read Punisher number two yet? I have not picked it up yet. Oh my god, it's I'm, crazy. I uh I like you have zero dollars. Yeah. So I gotta wait till I get paid on Thursday to go pick it's, them up. It's pretty good. Alright. I can't wait. So I'm a pretty big twenty ninety nine fan. A no. new Spider-Man 2099 came out. Oh, you did a 2099 book. I'm yeah. like, you right, see my right. shocked face? <laughs> <laughs> and this is Spider-Man 2099 Exodus. And, uh, yeah. It's done by Steve Orlando and Paul Fry. Spider-Man swinging around the city, and there's a guy that is just causing all sorts of chaos, but can't be touched by the police because he is a member of the Cabal. And the Cabal are untouchable. So, um, Spider-Man's like, I don't care. And takes him out. Come to find out he was just going to be, he was a, uh, possible recruit for the Cabal. Uh, he wasn't a full-fledged yet. So Spider-Man's like, I gotta figure out who the leader of the Cabal is. They've gotta be stopped. They're just taking over the whole entire city. And so, his, AI unit, uh, Layla is along with Ryden. and he, she's like, Hey, there's this area of the city of new, new, Nove, new, new, I think is what it is. Um, that is completely undetectable by all the technology that we have in this world. You should go check it out. So he goes there to check it out and try to thinking that's where the cabal might be hiding and runs into Ghost Rider 2099. And Ghost Rider puts Spider-Man's conscious into the machine as Layla disappears, trying to figure out who the leader of the Cabal is. And um, Spider-Man ends up fighting a demon-like creature that looks somewhat familiar. And <clears throat> after the battle, he and Ghost Rider have taken care of the bad guy, but Ghost Rider just disappears. Ghost Rider was the one that's kind of keeping everything under wraps so the location wouldn't be found. And so all these people that were hiding there to stay away from the cabal and all the corruption that was going on in the world um, now look at Spider-Man and like, hey, it's your responsibility to put us someplace that's going to be safe. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be a hard job, but I will do it. So that's where they live off Spider-Man. In the meantime, you see a head floating in this bathtub of water. And as he's crawling out of the water, 
It's the Green Goblin. And he is the leader of the Cabal. And that's where it leaves off at. Uh, it's going to go into a short run. Uh, let's see. So the next book's Alpha, and then it's got a five-part series, and then it ends with Omega. Um, truthfully, I'm such a fan of the old school 2099 that I was very let down by this one, even with Ghost Rider kind of teaming up in here. Take it or leave it. Uh, next one up is Twig, number one, by Scotty Young and Kyle Stram. And, uh, this was a book. Um, <laughs> nice. Is it all typed up to be? Is there a lot of hype on it? There's a lot of hype over that book. Like positive hype? Yeah. Like, it's the new bone. I could see that. Yeah. It's okay. Well, in my opinion. Nothing's going to compare to bone. Um, so. Twig is a character that um, has a job to do of delivering items throughout. He's kind of like a courier. And he inherited the job from his dad. And the first day on the job, he's running late. And uh, he gets kind of yelled at by, I don't know what to call him, because they we'll just call him mole people. Um because he's running late and he has to get caught back up on time because everything's kind of running on a clock. And the probably the funniest part of the book, for him to get where he has to go to pick up the message, he has to go through this mountain. And so in the mountain is a living creature and he opens up his mouth and Twig goes into his mouth to uh, get to where his job's at and get what he has to curry. And when he leaves, he goes out the backside of the mountain and Twig's little sidekick goes, well, if he went through his mouth and we came out on the other side, does that mean we left from his butt? (laughs) (laughs) He gets to where he's supposed to go and things don't go right. I don't want to give away too much because if there's that much hype about it, but, um, I mean, honestly, Kind of a fun book. I don't absolutely hate it. I don't absolutely love it either. Uh, I thought it was okay. It felt very, I think what kind of pushed me away from it a little bit was it felt very computer drawn. And it felt like I was reading more of a cartoon than actually reading a comic book. So, take it or leave it. New Burn. Number six, by Image Comics. Okay. Um, read this book. This is an amazing book. Uh, it is about a former police officer who, uh, quit the force and basically came, became a, uh, problem solver PI for all the gangs, um, in the city. And there's a unwritten rule that, uh, no gang can go out and attempt to kill him because he's protected by all gangs. So he can kind of maneuver through each and every area of every gang and not have to worry about being attacked. And this issue kind of goes away from focusing on 
Newburn himself, but it focuses on a um, two characters who were cops or are cops. One of them has a gambling problem and it kind of goes through his life on how he ends up where he's at and how he's getting bullied in the academy and everything else. And that's where he met his one-time partner. Uh, and then the, the second half of the book focuses on her story and what she had to go through and where she, how she ended up to where she is currently. Um, the storytelling is absolutely amazing in this. It really reminds you of the, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name now, Sean Phillips and, uh, who's the guy that does all the books with Sean Phillips? Anyhow, there's a writer that does a lot of books with Sean Phillips that are always really popular and I can't think of what his name is off the top of my head. Forgive me, but it really reminds you of some of those stories that, uh, Image publishes for them and, absolutely worth checking out it is a fantastic story um looks like there's going to be a few one shots here or there and then you got a big storyline and i think there's going to be a massive payoff on this absolutely check this one out and that's what i got awesome cool so this week has been pretty bad for deaths in the comic book community with neil adams and george perez which kind of makes me really sad um, we're losing a lot of our heroes lately. Um, so this week we decided to do our favorite Neil Adams covers and possibly our favorite <laughs> George Perez's covers. If you can like narrow those down, it's a pretty hard list. Um, <clears throat> who wants to go first? I'll, oh. I'll go first. All right. I'll start out with my number three. It is X-Men classics. Number one. Wait, who are you doing first? Neil Adams. Adams. Okay. Just this is my Neil Adams. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so my my number three is X-Men Classics number one, um, which is they're fighting the Sentinels, and it's a really sweet shot of Cyclops shooting the brains out of the, the uh, Sentinel. Pretty sweet shot. You got Toad and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch captured and... Pretty sweet cover. My number two. I'm sure Ryan probably has this on there. If not, I'll be surprised. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 85. My ward is a junkie! It's the from Hard Traveling Heroes when they find out that Speedy's doing heroin. And it's just... It's one of my favorite... It's one of my favorite and probably one you know it's a pretty iconic cover too it is a very iconic cover um that's my number two and my number one is batman annual number 14 and it's his drawing of two-face that is my favorite cover of his it's a good one it's a really good one um Kind of got like a psychedelic kind of look to it. Yep. Yeah, it's really awesome. So those were my three. You want me to go or you? Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. All right. Number three for me, Batman 251. It's got the cover where the Joker is like larger than life and um, he's holding a card 
with Batman on the cover of it. It just looks absolutely fantastic. My number two, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, 76. The iconic uh, first big, uh, issue of the hard-traveling heroes where Green Arrow is shooting the arrow at Green Lantern up in the front towards his ring and um, power battery. And then my number one is Tomb of Dracula, number one. That one had a little bit of special significance to me because the guy that I bought it from was also kind of a mentor in the comic book world to me. Um, and he kind of got me to appreciate some of the older comics that are out there. And, um, so, and he's since passed on. So appreciating the Neil art, uh, Neil Adams art along with, uh, kind of giving a tribute to my friend with that one. Nice. Awesome. All right. So I met Neil Adams in uh, Dragon Con about 12 years ago. And I have a poster of the X-Men. And I was like, which can you sign by the, your favorite X-Men? And he signed by Havoc. And I was like, well, that figures because he freaking created Havoc. Yeah. Um, so um, <laughs> my favorite cover of his from the X-Men is X-Men number 58, which is called Enter the Man Called Havoc. Um, it's just him, you know, coming out of the cover. Um, Batman 227 with the, the demon over Gotham, which mm-hmm. that one's freaking amazing. Um, then there's that weird one where Robin is hanging, and it's the mini deaths of Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman number 246, I think it is. Um, my all-time favorite Neil Adams is Dead Man number one, with him standing over the body of himself and being like, no, I'm dead? Right. Um, it's just awesome. Good ones. Cool. And new duplications at all. No. No. That's crazy. I really thought we'd have a, at least one. Yeah. So anybody want to do the George Perez? I did. I did pick the Havoc one as yeah. one of them, and then I picked the the Batman with the the what was it fifty two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked that one, and I was like, I'll go with the other one. Yep. Well, I got my Perez list ready. Okay. All right. So my number three was Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, the Death of Supergirl cover. That has been done over and over and over and over by so many different, uh, individuals. I mean, it's just an iconic cover that, uh, everybody knows. My number two is New Titan or New Teen Titans 34. And, um, it's a kind of like a poster of the New Teen Titans and it shows Deathstroke in the upper left corner shooting at this poster and is ripping the poster in half. It just really pops really cool. And then this one, I think caught me a little bit by surprise because I didn't even realize he did the cover, but I remember reading it. I remember enjoying it. So that's why I chose this one. Avengers number four from 1998. Uh, who will be the new event or who will be the new or the next Avengers. And it's the big, letter a avenger emblem and it shows a bunch of characters inside that a uh like the avenger books always do to try to get you to buy it is who's the next avengers um and that one just grabbed my attention because that's one of the ones i I ended up picking up because of what he did on that cover so that's what i had 
I'm checking into something. Go ahead, Nick. Okay. So, um, we're going to do, uh, for number three, uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number nine, which is the first appearance of the White Tiger. So, um, yeah, it's just awesome. Like, I love the White Tiger. It's so awesome. Like, uh, let's see, um, my all-time favorite cover of his, which is a little-known Superman book, 644, Action Comics. It's Superman in all shadow. It's black and white. A uh, little bit of yellow. And he's just got the glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. He's just in the shadow. And it's one of my favorite covers of all time. Like, really wish I would have got him to sign this. But it's it's ratty. I've been read it so many times. But the story inside is not so great. Because it's Supergirl. <laughs> and she's that weird, like, uh, gelatinous thing. Mm-hmm. Right? At that time. And number one, it's too hard. Like, he's, he did so many Avengers. He did so many Marvel 2-in-1s. He did so many New Teen Titans. It's really hard to do. And he's done so many iconic covers. And it's really hard to choose one. Like, the Death of Supergirl. The the Wonder Gore stories from Avengers. Um, he did uh, some amazing work. Like, some stuff that you don't even realize is him. Because his art style changed so much during mm-hmm. the time. But, yeah, yeah, it's like too much. It's too much stuff. Like, it's too hard to, to like pick down. <laughs> Yeah, I had two. I was trying to come up with a third one right here, but I just couldn't pick. There's too many. Um, the first one was The Death of Supergirl. It's, I guess, everybody's favorite, you know. And the other one is The Infinity Gauntlet, number one. Mm-hmm. Where Thanos has got the, the gauntlet, and it's got all the characters in the background, and I remember having this as a kid, and I wish I had it back. I was like, this story kind of sucks at the moment. and or I, I don't like the story. I don't get it, you know. And Knowing who drew it now, I didn't know who George Perez was back then. And now I wish I still had it. Uh, those were my two. Those were the only two. I, I couldn't come up with a third. Yeah, when we decided to do the list, we had a little bit more time to think about it. And then with George passing away um, this previous Saturday, uh, kind of was a last minute thing to try yeah. to throw him on there, too. So, so, yeah, Nick got to get his picture taken with. Yeah, I didn't even know who he it did, was. He didn't even know he was standing next to him. No, like I was in Ultron wearing the costume and. uh I felt that guy give me a hug, and he was like, I've drawn this guy for like 30, 40 years, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who the hell is it? I can't take my helmet <laughs> off. I can't see anything because I'm all fogged up. And uh found out later that it was George Perez. Oh, wow. I got pictures yeah. with him. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And I talked to him. Like, he was amazing. Like, you talk to him for a little bit, and he'll remember you. Or he would remember you. Like, uh next year I went, or a couple years later, I went and... He saw me in the crowd and he waved at me and was like, holy shit, he remembers. Like, some guys you meet like three or four times in a row, they don't remember you the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, but no, he, he remembered every one of his fans. It was really cool. Like, That's awesome. Awesome guy. He'd go to like the costume contests and hang out and just talk to everybody. It was crazy. All right. Uh, anything else? No. Moon Knight's over. Moon Knight's I haven't over. watched the last episode. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to see Doctor Strange this weekend, yep. so I'll have to wait 
if anybody else is going to go yeah. to talk about it. But I'm going probably this weekend. There's that new, uh, on the the new Constantine cartoon that they brought out, they brought out a, a short for Blue Beetle because it was made in the 1960s. So he's got a short cartoon hmm. where he hangs out with Captain Adam and with all them. I did see the trailer for Obi-Wan for coming out at the end of the month. And yeah, I'm excited for it. I was like, okay, just don't, don't fuck it up too bad. There was a thing, you know, Filoni and and Favreau haven't really messed up yet. So, well, Boba Fett, that's a matter of opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, I was reading um, Google and they were like, there's a, you know, those clickbait things. And it was like, Obi-Wan gets lowest rating of any Disney plus Star Wars series. And I was reading, I was like, there's no way. How how do you already rate this? So I was reading it, and they're like, the rating for everything else has been PG thirteen. This is PG. That's your rate. That's your lowest rating. <laughs> that's your lowest rating. <laughs> that's very. That's catchy, a guys. little click clickbaity there. Yep. Very catchy. No, I I will agree with you. There were certain parts of Boba Fett that were bad. Sand people part. I couldn't. But hot rodding the. Oh God. The the mopeds on air mopeds. Yeah. yeah, that I couldn't handle that. And they're yeah. But he's a crime lord who commits no crimes. It's really sad that the the best episodes of that whole damn series is when the Mandalorian and Grogu show up. It's the best part of the whole damn yeah, series. It wasn't about both. Yeah. They took one of the most iconically cool characters because you have no idea who he was. And they give him all this, you take his helmet off, show what it looks like, you give him this story, and it's like, now he's not the Boba Fett that we knew. <coughs> he's, it's like when they made Wolverine James Howlett, like, oh, great. Now he's got a backstory. Like, Wait, Ugh. he's James Howlett? Yes. I, I didn't read it. You don't need to. I just spoiled it for I you. I wasn't going to. Spoiler! I kind of figured it out when they put it, Wolverine, a.k.a. Logan, yeah. a.k.a. James Howlett. And I'm like, all right, yep. whatever. Great. So. Um, oh, I picked up Essential X Factor, number one. Nice. On free comic book day. That was my exciting pickup, plus X-Men stuff and Alpha Flight. Cool, cool. But. I don't have anything else. I swear to God, I did. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. We gotta write this shit down. Doesn't matter. All right, guys. So we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. See ya. See ya later. <laughs>